You'd basically have to be living in a cave somewhere, not to be involved in some kind of high conflict, or at least to be watching someone you love getting sucked into the undertow. And by the way, if you're living in a cave, how are you getting Wi-Fi reception in there? Welcome. I'm Tracy, the host of the Essential Stepmom podcast, your source for information and inspiration about the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. There's a lot of material here for the dads too, because, well, because nobody talks to them about this stuff much, and it's about time that changed. There's nothing about making a step family work that comes naturally. It happens as a result of effort and actual skills that you learn and practice, you know, like tennis or chess. My approach to all of this is a bit, well, unconventional. I like to live outside the box. And if that describes you too, I think we're going to be friends. Let me hear from you. My super private mailbox is info at essentialstepmom.com and I'm always up for a chat. It was my birthday last month. And my mom asked me what books she could send me as a gift because we're all in lockdown here and we weren't going to see each other. So I hopped on the website of my local indie bookseller, trying to keep the economy going just a little here. And I saw this brand new release advertised. I knew the minute I saw the cover, I had to read it. It's a bright red cover with an image of a tangled up ball of gold barbed wire with one little arrow pointing the way out. It's by Amanda Ripley, and it's called High Conflict, How We Get Trapped and How We Get Out. Shout out to Gwen's Graphic Studio and Tom McKevney for that jacket design. It totally grabbed me by the lapels. Anyway, this book was everything I hoped it would be, and I can't wait for you to read it, because it could actually save someone's life, and I'm not kidding. I'll just whet your appetite a little bit here with a kind of summary and... I'll tell you how every page of this book applies pretty perfectly to the kind of conflict that's happening right now between the homes where your stepkids live their on-again, off-again lives. Maybe even between your own ears. My stepdaughter was horrified when she saw how many pages I dog-eared on this book. She can't stand that. She takes such good care of her books, so I can't let her see that I also underlined and highlighted the heck out of it. I wanted to be able to go back and find all the good bits. And honestly, there's something good on every page. As stepmoms, we're all of us getting sucked into someone else's conflict or else we're actively working to not get sucked in. This has actually been kind of the central theme of my life for the past 15 years. The author, Amanda Ripley, makes reference to some laboratory studies that looked at people observing a loved one as they were receiving a mild electric shock. It's the kind of thing they do in laboratories. She says that when this happens, and I quote now, the part of their own brain that assesses the meaning of pain gets activated. Their brain responds as if the shock were happening to them, in other words. For those neurons, there is no apparent difference between literal first-person pain and collective group pain. End quote. So you're not wrong or crazy to feel it very deeply when your partner is being abused at a distance by his ex. And you're not wrong 
to feel pained that a stepchild you love is being literally torn apart by the conflict between his and her parents. This is biology. Feeling pain from someone else's pain means that you're human. So this is not going to be about caring less. And that feels good to me. I don't ever want to care less. I want to be smarter. I want to understand how to untangle high conflict without just turning my back on it or keeping my mouth shut. If that expresses how you feel, this book is a must read. One of the important things that Amanda Ripley shines a light on is what she calls the four fire starters or accelerants of conflict. Those are things that get it going or keep it going or make it harder to stop. Those are group identities, conflict entrepreneurs, humiliation, and corruption. I'm going to talk just a little about how each of these things shows up in our world, yours and mine, the post-divorce family landscape. Group identities is easy. That's us and them. In the larger society, it's rich and poor, black and white. Pick your identity. For step families, it's our house and their house. I think there's a huge misunderstanding among stepmoms and even among the dads about the group identities within your family. Dad and his kids have a group identity that doesn't include you. And I know it hurts to feel left out, but that's just because you think that you're supposed to belong. You're not supposed to belong. It's a fact that they were a family before he met you. And there are natural laws that govern orders of love and family loyalties. I'll explain it in a way that might be easier to grasp. And I'm going to digress from the book for just a minute here because this feels important to explain. Let's say for a moment that your mom has left your dad or even passed away. And eventually your dad gets a new lady friend. That's what lady friend, that's what we used to call women of a certain age who were dating your dad. And let's say that he marries her. Are you really okay with never getting to be alone with your dad again? Does she have to be part of every conversation? Aren't you allowed to reminisce about great holidays you took together when mom was around without hurting this lady's feelings? No, your original family still exists. You can feel it when you're alone with your dad and your siblings, even if you like the new wife a lot. It's a different energy when she's not in the room. For some people, it's desperately important to connect together in that family bubble. And for others, it's not such a big deal. I know how critical this family energy can be from the work I've done with something called family constellation therapy. These kind of sessions show it so clearly it's something you can't forget once you've seen it. But you're not getting hung out to dry here as a stepmom. You and your partner also have a group identity, and it's one that doesn't include his kids. You're a couple. You're a partnership, even if those kids live with you all the time. There are moments that just belong to the two of you when you're being about each other and not just stuck in your identities as parents. The ideal way to get you all together in one bubble 
is to create a new family with your partner, one that you both invite the children to join. It's not impossible to join a new family. We're kind of wired for that because that's what happens when you get married. You get invited into a new family and you don't have to give up your other family. It feels natural to join a new family in that way. But back to the concept of group identities as a fire starter, if you don't have the right energetic approach, it could be really easy to get stuck in an adversarial mindset around us and them. Because, of course, there's a bigger bubble that includes all of you, all the extended family of the kids, parents, step-parents, grandparents, all of them. The more you can feel yourselves as part of the same big family bubble, even if you're squabbling, you're less likely to end up like the Hatfields and the McCoys who killed each other for 12 years before somebody finally said, enough. The next fire starter is what she calls conflict entrepreneurs. I love this term. These are people who profit in some way from inflaming your conflict. The most obvious case is lawyers, attorneys. Heck, the whole family court system. It's desperately ineffective and completely structured around maintaining your conflict. Nobody gets paid if you settle your conflict quickly. It's a conflict generating machine. I think I've already told you about how back in the day I was like all over my husband's lawyer. I was the conflict entrepreneur in that story. I was like, why can't he be more aggressive? Don't let her do this. It's not legal. This isn't right. Blah, blah, blah. I was pouring kerosene on this fire. Thank God my husband's lawyer was used to new wives like me. He just kept saying, trust me, you don't want to go to court over this. Save the money. Put your kids through college. I didn't see it at all at the time. He was a very smart guy. So if you're not the conflict entrepreneur in your story, you probably recognize one in your sister or your friend or a, a colleague at work who delights in hearing about your conflict. It's still profit if someone is getting a rush from discussing your drama. Life is boring when everything's all sorted out and running smoothly. <clears throat> These people are invested in your conflict. It's something that bonds you socially. This is the pull of shows like Real Housewives. Not even a show anymore, it's a franchise. The media is all about conflict all the time. You, they give you the idea that your life is somehow validated by the degree of conflict in it. We all need to change the damn channel. The next thing she talks about as a fire starter is humiliation. She quotes the psychologist Evelyn Lindner, who has built her entire academic career around the study of humiliation. She says, I quote, humiliation is the nuclear bomb of the emotions. You know how often I've heard a stepmom say, bio mom dropped another bomb yesterday or something like that. It's probably not by chance that we use these metaphors. Lindner goes on to say, humiliation can become an obsession as significant and consuming as any form of addiction or dependence. 
end quote. I wrote something in my Facebook group yesterday about this quote. I wanted to say that there is very little in life more humiliating than giving up a husband or cheating on him or not appreciating him and then having to see him move on and find a wonderful woman to share his life with. Like, oops, maybe I should have hung on to him or been nicer to him or whatever. But now I have to see him being happy with someone else, like all over Instagram or even in real life. And not only that, but everyone else gets to see how I compare as a mother to this new other woman. And you, as the other woman, don't have to do anything to encourage that, by the way, because all mothers are insecure about being good enough mothers. So it's a double whammy. And when a person feels humiliated, they drop bombs. Corruption is the final fire starter. And in our post-divorce world, that shows up big time, unfortunately, in the justice system. What passes for justice in our family court systems makes a total mockery of the word, in my opinion. Sometimes you just have to scratch your head and wonder if anybody read a single word of your paperwork or heard what anyone said in the courtroom. The system very often seems rigged, and it's obscene that people come away from that feeling like they won or lost. Courts are not set up to resolve complex emotional or relational issues. There are live human beings involved here. It's not about divvying up the furniture. The fact that custody and financial support are bound so tightly together, it sometimes means that you can end up paying 100% of the childcare costs for the privilege of not getting to spend any time with your kids at all. Who thought that could be a possible outcome? Or being assessed for child support based on the salary of a job that you lost a year ago. The mere fact that judges are often chosen by election and that in some jurisdictions lawyers are allowed to contribute financially to their election campaigns, that simply sets the perfect groundwork for corruption. There's no other way to say it. When this is happening, one party delights in crushing the other with the help of a corrupt system, and that never has a happy ending. Here's a quote from the book again, and this is a quote from Chief Justice Warren Earl Berger from his State of the Judiciary speech in 1984. He says, Our system is too costly, too painful, too destructive, and too ineffective for a truly civilized people. End quote. It's true that joint custody is a fairly new concept, and it's better than nothing as far as legislation goes but it's still not being applied in a very civilized way, in my opinion. So what about getting out of high conflict? Why is that important? This is a topic that I talk about a lot, because high conflict never leads to happiness. There's never a winner, because someone is left humiliated, and that just starts the cycle up again, or it leads to a period of quiet followed by an unexpected nuclear bomb. That's often what parental alienation looks like. It starts after years of everything being okay as far as you know, and then, I don't know, your wedding rips the band-aid off an old humiliation. 
So we have to do something to step out of high conflict if we ever want to enjoy peace or even peace of mind. The author gives us plenty of practical advice for doing that. And it turns out that it's not so much about dissolving the whole conflict entirely, but in changing high conflict into what she calls healthy conflict or good conflict. She defines that as friction that can be serious and intense, but that leads somewhere good. Here's a quote from the book. In healthy conflict, there's movement. Questions get asked. Curiosity exists. There can be yelling too, but healthy conflict leads somewhere. It feels more interesting to get to the other side than to stay in it. In high conflict, the conflict is the destination. There's nowhere else to go. End quote. She offers some specific conflict hacks, like deep breathing, for instance. She actually talks to a police officer who taught himself to do deep breathing while listening to a recording of a siren. That way, he was trained to go right into deep breathing every time he had to turn on his own siren on his way to deal with an emergency conflict situation. You could learn to do this to like the sound of your own ringtone or your partner's. Another conflict hack she talks about is reframing the situation as a way of moderating high conflict. It's sort of what I do on this podcast, and of course in a more personalized way with my clients. I use analogies and stories to help reframe the situation, to find another perspective that takes the emotional charge out. Usually, when I explain to someone that their son or daughter actually hates half of him or herself all the time because every single cell of their body is half mom and half dad and nothing else. And they know that they can never ever be good enough again for either of their parents because they believe their parents each hate the part of them that's made of the other parent. Usually, That gives my client a shift in perspective that cools off how they feel about the behavior of that child or even about their mom. Amanda Ripley looks at the three ways we typically deal with high conflict, which are running away, fighting, or staying silent. I'm pretty sure I've used each of those at some time in my life, even even around the same conflict. But there's also a fourth way, which she describes as leaning into the conflict, leaning in, getting curious. That means doing something called active listening. There are many versions of how to do active listening, but Amanda Ripley sums it up by saying, summarize what the other person says and ask if you got it right. This is a great way to improve your communication with anyone actually, but in a high conflict situation, it really helps to try to repeat what the other person said and see if you really understand what they meant. Of course, it's ideal if the other party is willing to do the same for you, but it's not necessary. The author references a great resource for better communication, which is the website oscartrimboli.com. I'm going to put that into the show notes, of course. I'm a professional listener, so I wasn't getting, I wasn't expecting to get much advice from that website, but 
I just did his free listening quiz and I have to tell you, it was spot on. He told me my conversational weaknesses are wanting to interrupt before the other person is finished. Guilty. And being a shrewd listener who's trying to fix the problem instead of just listening to what the other person needs to say. God, I hate being called out by a bot. Anyway, point taken. I have work to do on myself. Amanda Ripley has added three appendices to her book. How to recognize high conflict in the world. How to recognize high conflict in yourself. And how to prevent high conflict. And this is where all the juicy solutions are. Let's jump right into finding high conflict in yourself. Because that feels pretty juicy to me. She says, good conflict isn't necessarily bland. It's tough to be in conflict. But it causes good conflict, causes temporary spikes in your stress hormones, followed by recovery. Whereas bad conflict leads to a rise in chronic stress hormones. And speaking as someone who's been an alternative healthcare professional for over 20 years, chronic stress hormones produce all those stress-related diseases, which are things like migraines, insomnia, irritable bowel disease, chronic pain, heart disease, yada, 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 you know what they are. Those come from bad conflict. Want to feel better? Learn how to change your high conflicts into healthy ones. This book is filled with interviews and stories from people who have been in the highest conflicts you can imagine and finding a way out. Lifetime gang members leaving the ranks, political enemies figuring out how to collaborate with each other, liberal New York Jews befriending conservative Midwestern Christians, and even urban animal rights activists getting creative with wolf culling farmers. Really, it was a total page turner and it's also a life changer. I give it five stars. And I just want to say that being involved in high conflict as a participant or as a loving bystander is a call to personal development. You evolve as a person in the process of leaning into conflict. Sometimes you have to evolve before you can even contemplate doing that. It didn't come easy to any of the people she interviews in this book. It, it took them years to get to where they'd had enough. But nobody ever feels bad about that kind of transformation. It's like when stepmoms ask me, why do I always have to be the better person? My answer is, because you get to be a better person. Once again, Amanda Ripley's High Conflict why we get trapped, and how we get out. Of course, I'll leave a link for where you can order that online in the show notes. That's all for this episode. I hope you're getting something from my ramblings about step family life. And if you're a stepmom listening, and you think there's something here your partner would appreciate, go ahead and share it. One of my clients just told me she actually caught her husband listening to this podcast without her. So dad, if you're listening, I want you to know that you don't have to do a thing to be the best dad in the world to your kids. You're already the best dad as soon as you wake up in the morning. What you might not be so great at is navigating this post-divorce landscape as a parent because 
Unlike fatherhood, parenting is a skill, like putting or windsurfing or auto repair. You have to learn the moves and practice them. Not only that, but as you practice and wonder if you're even practicing the right thing, you can't be expected to see your own blind spots. And that's where I come in. I know this divorced dad family terrain, and I can see around the corners that you can't. I know the challenges you're up against, things like being undermined or stonewalled, feeling afraid of becoming irrelevant in your child's life. You don't have to face those challenges alone. I can help you create the best parenting strategy for your family and your situation so you can make the impact you want to have and proudly guide your kids into adulthood. Reach out for a free call. I'd be very happy to talk about how we might work together to master whatever challenges are in the way of you leaving the legacy that you thought was out of reach. You can reach me at bit.ly slash calltracy. That's bit.ly slash calltracy, all caps. I'll leave that link in the show notes for you too. See you next week.